Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all of their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled for refuge, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the altar order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, as we sang that song, I already reiterated it to you, but it really fits the text that we're in this morning. When it says, by faith our fathers roamed the earth with the power of his promise in their hearts. If I were going to just put a banner over this text this morning, it would be that. Power of the promise in the heart of Abraham. That's what the, that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. The power of that promise. And what I hope to show you this morning is your connectedness to that promise if you're in Christ. That it goes way back. This is no new thing. It is what all of history is about. And young people, if you're here this morning, you live in a world that just seems to bounce everywhere. And you think, how do I put it all together? You put it all together as it centers around Christ. And there have been a host of people down through the ages, generation to generation to generation, who've held the hope of that promise in their hearts and have rested in it, taken refuge in it. In Old Testament sense, they looked ahead. They didn't understand that that promise came together in Jesus Christ. But they knew there was a promise made and a promise that God would keep. So they held to it. We look back now and see that the fulfillment of that promise is Christ. He says a little later in this song, By faith the prophet saw a day when the long-awaited Messiah would appear. They saw him, but they didn't know his name was Jesus. With the power to break the chains of sin and death and rise triumphant, from the grave. That's what Easter is all about, that, that the one in whom it all culminates is Christ and that he did it well. And as the fact that he did it well, the God raised him from the dead. We'll talk about that next week and talk about how that is an anchor to our soul because what this text is now, what it's been these last weeks is there was warning that came to us. And last week, after that severe warning to not grow cold, to not to not allow yourself to have dullness of hearing to set in, to warn these Hebrew believers, don't turn back on this Christ in which it all centers, the promise centers. After he warns them, then he says this, and we looked at it last week, though we speak in this way, by way of warning, don't do that, be careful. He says, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. And so last week he turned a corner and he begins to encourage them because he was sure of better things, better things that belong to salvation that he witnessed in their lives. And as we came to the Lord's table, 
we landed on the text in this where it says, for God is not unjust. And, and we admonished you to appeal carefully and humbly, but there is a place to appeal to God's justice in light of your walk with Christ. Now, what we made the point to say last week was this, and we said it, I hope you understood it. I want to reiterate it again this morning, and then we're going to move into another section here that talks about Abraham and another way in which he starts to encourage them, and then next week we will conclude this section of encouragement on Easter. But in the section last week, um, he, he says, God is not unjust. Now, be careful. Don't, don't cross over into this the sense that somehow they merited that salvation. Somehow they merited God's favor in themselves. What he, what he is saying is you, I'm, I'm confident of better things, which I've witnessed in your life, things that belong to salvation. And what he referenced was over in chapter 10 of Hebrews, where these people went to those who were in prison for their faith, and they were identified with them at the risk of being imprisoned themselves. They were identified with them at the risk of losing everything, just like these people in prison had lost everything for the name of Christ. And he says, you love them. And God is not unjust to recognize that. But what he was recognizing was not the fruit of their faith, or excuse me, what he was recognizing was the fruit of their faith, not the works themselves. In other words, works are the fruit of faith. They are the fruit of true faith. And what he's saying is, I believe you truly truly are in Christ. And these works that come out of it give me evidence that you're truly in Christ. Your willingness to sacrifice. And he says, God is not unjust to overlook your faith. Your faith, because he ends that section by saying that it's those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so what he's really saying is God is not unjust to overlook your faith. You're taking refuge. It'll talk about in today's text in Christ. That's what it means that you take refuge in all that he has done. And God will not be unjust for anyone who has taken refuge in Christ, truly is in Christ. He will not condemn them. One of the things as I walked away last week, I wish I had said, and so I always get a chance the next week when you're in series to say it, and I want to say it, I want you to hear it. There is a place to appeal to God's justice because in this case, if God has promised that all who take refuge in Christ will be saved, then he would be unjust to go against his word. If he's promised it, he will do it. And so if they had taken refuge in Christ, they could appeal to his justice. You promised, Lord. It's about promise. It's not about merit. It's about the promise. It's about trusting the promise. But this is another way to think of it. And this is another way that we appeal to God's justice. It's what went to me as I walked away, and I pinned it thing. I'll bring it back. And this is it, that, that another degree of that or a level of that or, or another way to look at that is that Jesus will not be t- deprived the reward of his suffering. Jesus will not be deprived the reward of his suffering. And who is the reward of his suffering? But the church, but those who take refuge in Christ. And so there is a place to say, your son, your son suffered. 
in my place, you will not deprive him of the reward of that. And the reward is the church, the reward of those that he redeemed. He came and lived fully as a man so that he could die and suffer so that we would not have to, so that we could inherit the promise of eternal life. And so this morning, be careful to ever appeal to merit, your merit, and ask for justice. If you do that, it will not bode well. If your appeal when you stand before God one day is to appeal to your merit that you've accomplished by your good works, it will not be a pretty picture. But there is a place as we stand before him to appeal to merit. It's just not our merit. It's the merit of the suffering of Christ. The reward that Jesus is due for those he died for. That's a wonderful truth. And it's really part of what he is saying here as he encourages them. And then he moves on now in verse 13. And he, he goes farther. He talks more about encouragement. He wants, he wants to encourage these believers who obviously are discouraged. And so he begins to take another avenue to do that. And we see it in the text today. Look at verse 18, where he actually just spells it out. He says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast. That's why he's writing this section, that they would have strong encouragement to hold fast to their hope. Now, you remember in earlier days in the messages that we've shared as we've walked through Hebrews to get the full picture and the full orb of what this book is saying to us, there certainly were admonitions in the Scripture that those who are truly his house will continue in their confession and their boast. If you are his house, you will continue in your confession and boast. If, in fact, you have come to share in Christ, you will hold your original confidence to the end. And really what he's saying is here, I'm confident that will be the case. I'm confident for you that will be the case because you are in Christ. You've give evidence of being in Christ. And if you are in Christ, that's what it looks like. You won't stumble forever. But God will bring you out of this period of stumbling, this period of dullness in your life. And you will, because of the very admonitions I'm making, the very means by which God uses the scripture, you will be shaken out of this and God will give you strong encouragement to hold your hope to the end. And the way he does it, the way he brings us encouragement now is through the life of Abraham. He goes back to Abraham and he appeals to Abraham and the promise. Look at what it says. When God made a promise to Abraham, Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. That's the promise that he gave here in uh, Hebrews and actually what we're going to go back and look at in the book of Genesis. The the promise that surely I will bless you and multiply you. And he, he adds that back in Genesis that you may be a blessing to others that you will bless the nations. That's the promise he gave to Abram. That's the promise that Abram held in his heart, that through his lineage, his literal lineage, his seed, if you will, through his offspring, 
God would bless the nations. And Abraham held on to that promise. And here in the text, it says God made the promise, and then he swore by an oath. He, he, it was enough to make the promise. But then he swore by an oath, and, and the oath he swore by was his own name. He, he swore on, it on the sake, for the sake of his own name, this oath. And so there's a double sense in which God makes this promise and seals this promise. And the inference is Abraham grabbed onto that promise by faith and by patience he waited for the fulfillment of it. And what we get here, what we get in this text is really a picture, a picture of the Christian life. Really what it is, a picture to walk as a believer. And that's what he's showing these Hebrews, how to walk, how to walk by faith, how to be connected to the faith of the fathers. You see, the interesting thing is these Hebrew believers were thinking about going back to Judaism. Judaism. They'd come out of Judaism. They were Hebrews. They were Jews. And they'd come out of it. They'd embrace Christ. And now there was kind of a hesitancy in their step and they were beginning to turn around and look back at their Judaism and think about returning to it. And really the argument that Abraham or that that the writer of Hebrews gives is Abraham. You can't go back. There's a flow to this thing that Abraham, yes, he was important. He was a father, but it was about a future promise that was to come. And that promise was Christ. And so to go back, there's no place to go. And we'll look at that. We'll see that in the text. I want you to turn someplace else with me because I think it's incredibly important to see that the Bible is one story. We talk about that a lot. And maybe you hear that and it doesn't make sense, so we try more and more to show you that this is one story, one book about one thing that culminates in Christ. Now, turn with me to Galatians, uh, if you will. And let me read there about Abraham, all right? This, this will help as we go back then into Genesis and walk through Abraham's life for a bit. It's interesting how it's put there in chapter 3, Galatians. Paul is writing to the Galatian church, and he says, Know then, in verse 7, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture says, by faith and patience, Abraham... You see, by, we are sons of Abraham by faith. And then it says in verse 8, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and Paul is speaking to Gentiles, those who were not Jews here in Galatians, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. I, I hope a text like that just jumps out at you. You think about that for a minute. It says here that, that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, and then he says this as he's describing the gospel. In you, all the nations will be blessed. Two things should jump out. Two questions. One is, how in the world did he preach the gospel, which is about Jesus Christ, to Abraham? Abraham, who lived hundreds and hundreds of years before the coming of Christ. But he says he preached the gospel to Abraham. And then he says this gospel entails this thing. In you shall all the nations be blessed. The gospel is fundamentally about all the nations being blessed. Every kindred and every tribe and every nation. Remember in the perspectives video where he said missions is about going to those so that every kindred and every tribe and every nation will worship? That's what all the nations... To go all... This message... 
this message of Christ would go to all the nations through Abraham. This gospel. Now, what I want us to do is I want us to just look at the Old Testament picture of what I think it is to walk as people who have the power of the promise in their hearts. That's a good definition of God's people. They have the power of the promise in their hearts. Abraham had the power of the promise in his heart. And he walked with God. And God says, he declares him righteous because of that, because of his faith in the promise. Let's look at it. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. We'll try to do this quickly and walk through it and try to make sense of it as we, uh, as we jump from chapter to chapter here quickly in the book of Genesis. You, you pick up the story of Abraham, and Abraham was one of the most precious fathers to these Jewish people. It's no, it's no accident that, that uh, these Jewish believers, when, when, when the writer of Hebrews is going to appeal to the fathers, he picks Abraham. He was the supreme of the fathers to these Hebrew believers. They knew a lot about Abraham. They knew this story probably frontward and backward. But let's look at it. it we pick it up in chapter 11. There in chapter 11, uh, Terah, who was the father of Abraham, Abram then, it, it, later his name is changed to Abraham, but he was the father of Abram, who is Abraham. Um, they were going from Ur, the, the, from Ur to the... Uh, to the land of Canaan. They were, they were going to make that journey. But along that journey, as, as he took Abraham and he took his wife, Sarah, and he took Lot, uh, as, as they were making that journey, as Abraham's father was making that journey, they stopped in the city of Haran. And uh, in Haran is where Abraham's father died in Haran. And then we pick up the story in chapter 12. Now listen, listen for things that reoccur. Listen to things that are tied to the promise. The promise is about the fact that Abraham, through Abraham, the nations would be blessed. It says in verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, which is the land of Canaan, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, here's the promise again, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you all the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then we go over to chapter 13. After Abraham separates from Lot for a time, the promise is reiterated. The same promise again we read beginning in verse 14 of chapter 13. It says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, from all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if, if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. The inference is the can't. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Okay, again, the promise that 
it's going to be through Abraham's offspring that a blessing is going to come. The nations are going to be blessed through Abraham's offspring. Now, the problem, the problem is that Abraham is uh, 85 years old, or excuse me, 75 years old. It says in verse 4 of chapter 12, Uh, Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, if you go back over here to chapter 13 and into chapter... Uh, we're going to look at chapter 15. He, he now is 85. Ten years have passed. Ten years have passed, and all the nations are going to be blessed through Abraham's offspring. The problem is Abraham's getting too old. In a human level, Abraham is too old. His wife is too old to conceive a child. But... Again, in chapter 15, after, after Abraham is in the land of Canaan, he battles with four kings. That's a great battle. He's battle-weary. He's probably delirious in some ways because of de- being deprived of sleep, and he falls into a sleep, and a vision comes to him. And it says in verse 15, After these things, that battle, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. You see the promise again is being reiterated. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, not a son. Um, And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. Not, Not blood member, but just a member of my household. And behold... Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And this is what God said at age 85 to Abraham. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you were able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And then in verse 6, He was still holding the power of the promise in his breast. It says he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's the the glimmer of the gospel right there. Gospel. He believed the promise. What's the promise? That all the nations will be blessed through Abraham. Through his seed they will be blessed. And the scripture says at age 85, though it's humanly impossible, he believed the promise. He held the power of the promise to his breast. And the Lord said it was counted to him as righteousness. That's the gospel, folks. That's the Old Testament version of the gospel that culminates in Christ. What do you believe? The promise. The promise that this Jesus will receive the reward of his suffering. That if you've taken refuge in Christ and he has taken the penalty for your sin, you will not suffer it. That's the power of the promise. And because you hold on to the power of the promise, the Lord declares us righteous. He gives us the righteousness of Christ as he gave it to Abraham, though he didn't know the name. You see the gospel here? And then he goes on to cut a covenant with Abraham. 
And we'll talk more about that next week to some degree. A covenant he makes with Abraham in the latter parts of this chapter. And then do you know what happens? I said this is a picture. This is a picture of faith. This is a picture of walking with God. This is a picture of one who's been declared righteous, which is the definition of a Christian. If you're a believer today, if you're in Christ, you're declared righteous. As I said in my Sunday school class this morning, the, the imputed righteousness comes to you. You, you are either in Adam and sin, or you are in Christ and righteousness. But, but Abraham is in Christ. He's righteous. He's righteous. He's justified. His sin will not be held against him because he's of his faith. But what happens? Chapter 16. He's 85 years old. God just says, you're counted righteous in Christ. In fact, this is another point to understand. This is 14 years before circumcision was instituted. Before the rite of circumcision came, 14 years ahead of that, Abraham's declared righteous. So it's not about circumcision. It was 100 years before the law was ever given that he was declared righteous. So it's not about law-keeping. It's about faith. It's always been about faith. It's always been about trusting and holding the promise in your breast and being counted righteous. And the promise is Christ. But what happens? He stumbles. 85 years old. Doesn't have a son. Takes it into his own hands and decides, well, this is going to happen. I'm going to have to do it. And for a time, he, he stumbles. And he goes out and he lays with a servant. And she gives birth to Ishmael. And he thinks Ishmael is going to be the fulfillment of the promise. And God says, no, not Ishmael. And in the midst of that, Abraham gathers himself, repents. See, that's what the life of faith is. We, we, we walk with God. And when he comes to us and we get it wrong... We continue to hold to the power of the promise and he continues to hold to the power of promise as evidence as you walk over a couple more chapters and we walk and find another incident in his life, the incident of, of the sacrifice of Isaac. You see, after he recovers from Ishmael and trying to do it his own way, he goes back to trusting God, goes back to the power of the promise and God gives him a son and it, Isaac is born. In fact, it won't be Ishmael, but in a year from now, Isaac will come. And Isaac comes, his son. A son that comes through natural processes. That God does a miracle and allows his wife to conceive. He takes the impossible and makes it possible. Which is a picture, really, of salvation. We are in an impossible state. And Christ comes and does the impossible by becoming our righteousness. And he gives it to us. But again, a picture. And so Isaac comes, and then God takes him to another test. As we walk through the book, we, we find him in another situation, another place where, where God comes to Abraham a final time here. And, and he says and, and commands him to take his son, Isaac. Look at it in chapter 22. Of verse of Genesis chapter 20 and verse 1. It says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he said. Take your son, your only son Isaac, 
whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, all the time now, remember, he's holding on to the power of the promise. What's the promise? That all the nations will be blessed through you. And hear what happens. The fulfillment of offspring from he and Sarah. He's taking up to sacrifice. How does he do it? How does he do it? He holds on to the power of the promise. The promise that all the nations will be blessed through you. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offerings and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so he went and and they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And they both of them went together. It's interesting. Up a little before this, look at the text in verse 5. There's a hint. There's a hint of the faith of Abraham there where it says, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. And what? Come again to you. You see the power of the promise? He knew that Isaac was the fulfillment of the promise. And he held on to the power of the promise, even though God asked him to go and sacrifice his son. Now, you know the rest of the story. As he raises the knife, God stops him. And he provides a lamb in the thicket, which is a picture, again, of Christ. The true fulfillment, Christ. But the point I want us to get is that that Abraham held on to the power of the promise in his breast. And for all the ages, that's what it is to be a person of faith. That is what it means to be a follower of God, the God of Scripture, who is most clearly seen in the face of Christ. It's what it means to be a Christian, to do exactly what Abraham did, to go and to walk in the power of the promise that all of his life, all of Abraham's life, was affected by that promise. All of his life centered around that promise. And even when he failed, it was still about that promise. Now, he tried to do a, find an, an illicit way to fulfill the promise, a way that wasn't God's way, but it still was surrounding the promise. All of his life was consumed by the promise. The question I ask you, is all of your life consumed by the promise? Does it center in the promise? Do you treasure the promise? Let's look for it a little bit. Turn with me again back to the book of Galatians, if you will. And I want to tie all of this up. The promise was, remember what? The promise was through his seed, through his offspring, all the nations would be blessed. But now look at the interpretation of that as we look later in Galatians. We already looked at the first part of Galatians. Remember the promise there where it talked about 
The gospel was preached to Abraham, and you shall all the nations be blessed. That's the gospel. Okay, all the nations will be blessed. But then we turn over a little later in this particular text, in verse 15. And something incredible happens here. Let let me read it to you. It says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. He's talking about God's covenant to Abraham. That It's not a man-made covenant. But then it says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And here we get an interpretation of that. It says, It does not say, And to offsprings. In other words, singular, not plural. The promise was made to offspring not offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And then he says this. This is what brings it all together. It says, and to your offspring, who is Isaac? Yes, but that's not what this text says. Christ. What does that mean? The promise was made Abraham and to his offspring. How does that apply to us? If it's singular, how do we get in on this? I just said that it was a promise to all of the nations, to bless all of the nations. But here all of a sudden he talks about blessing one, Christ. Promise was made to Christ. How does it fit? How does it work? What's he mean? What he means is this, that the promise made is that through Abraham's seed, through his literal offspring, God would do the impossible. He would take a man and a woman who are too old. He would give them a son. And through the lineage of Abraham to his son, ultimately in that line would come Jesus, the Messiah. And now we see in the New Testament sense. The verse that we had in my Sunday school class this morning, there is no condemnation to those who are in who? Isaac? Yes. Abraham? Yes. But the way you get into Isaac and Abraham is being in Christ. In Christ. If you are in Christ, you are in all of the promises. You are connected to the fathers who held the power of the promise in their breast. And the power of the promise, the ultimate promise was Christ. But it goes to all of the nations. Whomever will name the name of Christ, whoever will take refuge in Christ. Turn back with me to to Hebrews and we'll end there this morning. This is the way it says it in this text. This is the reason he writes this about Abraham and how he grabbed the power of the promise in his breast. But it says again, so that two unchangeable things in verse 18 in which it is impossible for God to lie. What are the two things? The promise and the oath. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to our hope. What's our hope? Christ. If we are in Christ, we are in all of the promises. We are connected to all those who held the power of the promise in their breast. They looked ahead to the promise. They didn't fully understand that it was going to be 
named Jesus Christ. But we do. We do. Because Galatians says, to your offspring, Christ. If you are in Christ today, it should give you strong encouragement and hope to hold on to the end. Just as it would have to those Hebrews. that you, I said to you, they were, they were Hebrew Jewish Christians. They had left Judaism and fled to Christ. And now they were thinking about going back to Judaism. But, but you can't. You can't go back. Because there's a progression that is happening. It's not about going back. It's about going ahead to the fulfillment of the promise to Christ. If you hold the power of the promise in your breast, if you do, you will continue to hold your confidence and boast to the end because there's no place else to boast. They couldn't go back and boast back there anymore. It had passed away. It had seen its fulfillment. You see how history just marches on? That song that says they held the power of the promise in their breast. Generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. That's what it's about. And that promise is Christ. If you are in Christ, you as Abraham are declared righteous. He's the father of all of that. He was the first in that sense of that line. It's a wonderful promise. I hope you know the reality. Of, I hope it strengthens you to hold fast to Christ. We're going to sing a song that is one of the most popular modern hymns of our day. I hope the power of it rings true in your life. In Christ alone, let's stand and see. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Is drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving ceases, my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on of God in helpless pain, God's gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the gods he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid, here in the body lay, light of the world by darkness lay, 
then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost his grip on me, for I am his, and he is mine, brought with the precious blood of command my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand let me just say one word to young people here this morning which as well. One of my fears as I raised my children was that they would think church was about something that they just got dropped into. I mean, it, it disconnected from everything else. That, that they would think, well, that's just the way they do it. That's just the way it happens. And I grew up in that. And one of the things I wanted them to see was a bigger world. And that's really what this, this text is about, a bigger world, a connectedness. This is not about a local church thing. This is about generation upon generation upon generation upon generation holding the power of the promise in their hearts. You are connected to all of history. I hope you see that and I hope it strengthens you today. Go in God's peace. You're dismissed.